you would grab your Bible while you uh, are still giving, that's awesome. Um, we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 11. We, today we're starting um, our Advent series, our Christmas series, and uh, we do that every year. December, we kick off usually a four-week series uh, on Christmas, and, uh, and I, I want to let you know, like, I know there are different schools of thought on that, right? Um, some of you are like, I can't believe they started playing Christmas music already, right? That's, some of you are like that, I know that, and you're, and you're here, it's like, it's decorated, and there's Christmas trees, and there's lights, and you're just kind of like, what is going on? We just, we're still digesting pie and turkey from Thanksgiving. Give it a rest from it, right? And I get that. Um, some people think, like, we don't play Christmas music until Christmas Day because that's when Jesus was born. So when we sing about Jesus being born, we sing it when he was born right on Christmas Day. So Christmas Day, all the Christmas music you want, and then maybe you put it up for the year. Okay, I get, I get that, too. Well, I don't... I, I get that that happens. I don't get that. But um, as we talk about Advent, the idea of, of the anticipation and the looking forward to Christmas, uh, that's what this season is about. So uh, yes, it's about singing about Jesus was born, but we should sing about that all the time. And even songs that we sing on Sunday morning, I mean, every song is essentially a Christmas song, isn't it? It's about Jesus coming to save the world. So, so important for us to, uh, to, to recognize that. Um, as we look today, we're going to be starting a series for Advent called uh, Songs of Christmas. And it's not all the songs of Christmas. We picked out four different songs that we're going to be covering. And songs that are, that are deep in, in, and really steeped in church history. Uh, songs that will, will be familiar to you and to me. And, and songs that hopefully will resonate kind of anew. Um, and and I, I know if, maybe if you're like me, uh, there are times where when we start, you know, we sing songs, sometimes we think, well, what did I even sing? I can't remember what, what songs we sang uh, in the service. And, and that can be a problem, right? We don't, we don't just sing, sing songs just to give get, like noises out of our mouth, right? We're trying to make connections from our heart to the Father. We're trying to make connections from the Father to our heart. And that's what we do when we sing. So this is kind of going to be a small worship intensive as well uh, over the next four weeks uh, as we look at different songs of Christmas. Today's song uh, happens to be O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And uh, as we go through this in a few minutes, I'm going to have Mark put the, the verses on the screen. And what you're going to find is, um, well, we found there were like nine, at least nine different verses to this song. You, you, ever, you ever go to that, the church where you're, you open the hymnal and you're like, and, and the director says, hey, we're going to sing verse one and verse four. You're like, yes, it's going to be short and sweet and to the point, right? No, there's nine verses to the song. And, and what we need to understand about these songs, especially old hymns or carols that were written uh, for the church, they are not only biblical, but they tell a story that needs to be told. And sometimes when you skip part of that story, uh, you, you leave out some really important things. Now, uh, when they talk about this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, they're, the verses that we kind of are maybe not using are are being used kind of in a different form. Over the centuries, uh, the song has changed. It actually started, uh, we, the earliest we think it, uh, we can kind of pin it down was in the 8th century, so in the 700s, that this was a monastic uh, antifa, antiphon, which was a, like a chant or a, a recitation in a church service, or church liturgy. So you'd come and, and where you'd, you'd quote the Psalms or you'd chant the Psalms or you'd sing the Psalms, right? Uh, or you would, you would recite creeds in those days. This was like that. This was one of those songs. It was the O Antifa. And, and what, what it was, uh, the, the O's were, oh, all the names of Jesus we want to remember, all the, all the prophecy about Christ that we need to hold on to. And so the church, and think about time when literacy was down and maybe not everyone 
everyone had access to the scriptures. When you would sing a song or recite a, a, a creed, you were hiding that in your heart so you could recall it and think about it and, and ponder it. But not only that, you would know the story. You would know the story and you'd be able to share that story or you'd be able to hold on to that story uh, of Christ. And so uh, it has been adapted. Man, thank God there were no copyright, copyright laws back then because over the years, different authors have, have rearranged the verse to maybe make it sound a little better or, or rhyme a little better, right? Kind of maybe flow off the tongue easier. Uh, and we have a carol we have today. And even today, you might look in one hymnal and, and it has a couple words that are different and another hymnal might be a slightly different arrangement. And that's okay. You know, you ever go to a Christmas service and you sing a song like, wait, that's not how I used to sing it. It's because there's different kind of versions of that. Um, but this one today, as we go into it, uh, we'll go through each verse, and we're going to talk about where those verses come from and, and why, there's, why there's so, so much depth there. So today, as we start this Christmas series, uh, we're starting in, in a longing. So I want you to think about that as, as we come to Advent. This is Advent, right? The time anticipating Christ, that, that our, our hearts should be set in that longing attitude of, I long for Christ. I long for, I long for more of him. I long for God with us. And not only do I long for the Savior, the Messiah, but I long for him to rule and reign. I mean, there's a longing that should happen in our hearts. And this longing for the church, the early church, and for us today uh, has, has meaning. The, the early church, you saw this was like a guided tour. This song was a, a tour through the Old Testament prophecies and names of Jesus. It describes the attributes of Christ with names, and, and it, it calls him by those names throughout. A couple of common threads that run through each of these verses. First, each verse is a prayer to the Lord Jesus using his prophetic names. It's a prayer to Jesus saying, God, I, I recognize you as this, and I long for you as this. And we'll see what those mean, right? And, and then there's a refrain, so there's a prayer that goes out, then there's a refrain or a chorus, right, that's sung. And that, that, that singing, that refrain is a is a answer to that prayer. It's that rejoice, right? Rejoice, uh, Emmanuel surely has come, right? God is with us. We'll, we'll talk about that as well. The second thread that goes through the hymn uh, in this carol, it, it, it provides us with this tension between what's already been and what's not yet happened. So for the early church, you know, way before when they had, just had the prophecies, they were anticipating the Messiah. Israel was anticipating the Messiah, but by the 700s, of course, Christ had already come. He died. He was buried. He was risen again and ascended to the Father. So when they, when they were singing about Christ, they were singing remembering their ancestors, looking forward to the advent of Christ, to the, to the uh, condescension of God, becoming man, and being born of a virgin. And they, they, now they're remembering that, but they're also now looking forward as the church to Christ's ultimate return when he will come and rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. So there's a tension that happens in this song as well, but we as the church can still sing and, and remember and long for the day when he will come and make all things new and bring ultimate restoration. So it's going to be a fun, a fun song to, to dive into. O come, O come, Emmanuel. I want to read um, Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 5. I know uh, Dave Holst just read that uh, again or a minute ago. I'll do it again, and then we'll pray and get right into the, the chorus. Again, there's seven, seven verses or six verses plus a chorus we're going to cover today. So you got to get on it, right? Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and of strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be the fear in the fear of the Lord. 
He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, but uh, he will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously. He will execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips, and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your, your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your, your word. And God, today as we look to your word and, and look at the songs of Christmas, Lord, it, it's not just a song that's being preached to our heart. It's a song that is singing the word of God to our heart. God, help us receive that and help us, help us leave here today, God, singing that song, recounting the wonders of God, the mercy of God with us. We thank you that we can celebrate you. We thank you that you're, you're even more in view this time of the year as we celebrate Christmas and start decorating and we see Christmas trees go up and, and, and we sing Christmas carols and we hear it on the radio and in stores. God, may, may we not resist that. May we lean into that, God. And, and as we lean into that, may we, we do so longing, longing for Emmanuel, God, with us. Longing for Christ to come back and make all things new. Longing because, God, we know that we are only strangers and exiles here. We thank you. We ask that you be with us today as we look to your word, as we open it, Lord, as we read it. God, that it would, it would penetrate our hearts, that your spirit would convict us of sin and move us to a place of assured repentance in you and faith in you and faithfulness to you. We thank you. We give you all the praise, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first verse that we could mark up on the screen there. Thank you very much. Uh, well, this is the first half of it. So it says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, right? The next part says, That mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. The start of the song, this is that longing. You see that deep longing. In the prophecy, we see this in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Right, the virgin will conceive and have a son, and they will name him what? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He will be God with us. And why is that important? Why should our hearts long for God with us? Because you can't save, and you can't save, and you can't save, and I can't save. But guess who can save? God can save. So we long for God with us. And, and go back to that first verse, again, the first, first half of that verse, Mark, please. It says, in ransom captive, Israel, right? We ransom captive. So what does that mean? That, that Israel is captive, and God's going to pay the ransom for Israel to be, to be loosed from their captivity. In the next part of that verse, ransom captive, and then that mourns. So we know that as we are captive, we are, we are mourning in lonely exile here until what? Until the Son of God appear. Ransom captive. In the Old Testament, exile from the land uh, was a mark of judgment on people. So, so God's people, they suffered through this a lot. And you see constantly in the Old Testament this cycle of, of worship of God and then rebellion against God as they chased after foreign idols and, and, and foreign, foreign religion. And God would let them go into that despairing place and, and they would kind of get what they signed up for. And, and ultimately people would take them captive and, and they'd be in the land and be, God, be part of God's judgment. It's like, you wanted that, you asked for it, you got it. I want to be your God. I want you to worship me. I want you to be my people. I want you to be set apart in a certain way. But if you don't want that, I'll give you what you want. Isn't it interesting that th how that happens to us? We chase after the things that we supposedly want and desire, and it usually ends in a train wreck for us. 
That's what happens. And God knows that. He's like, I'm, I'm what you should want. I'm the only one that can satisfy. Come to me. And so he makes a way to come to us, even though we are judged in exile and set, a, set apart or separated from God. Right? There is a return from exile that is a major theme in Scripture. And we see that theme played out um, as, as people return to Jerusalem, both uh, when we see it in the time of Ezra and under, under Nehemiah, and, and in looking for the coming Messiah, when the people will be fully restored and gathered and regathered in the land. You know, there should be a longing in us to no longer be exiles. And what happens? That, that's realized through faith in Christ. That's realized through faith in the Messiah. We want the Son of God to appear. And when the Son of God appears, I'll no longer be an exile. I'll no longer be a stranger or foreigner. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 2. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Not like the other nations, right? A people for his own possession, so that you might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, right? There's a longing. When we were not a people, there was a longing for the Son of God to appear and and to bring us out of exile and make make us his people again. Once we were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For you and I, and even the church early on, they, they sang this song realizing that they were strangers, that they were in exile. They had not received mercy, but through the Messiah, through God with us, they had. And, he, and Peter goes on, he says, Dear friends, I urge you, as, as strangers and exiles, there, there's the term, strangers and exiles. Just like Israel, we today are strangers and exiles. And, and he says, I urge you as such to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Isn't that interesting? Why? He's like, now you better be good. Why? What does he understand? There's a battle being, being waged against our soul through the desires of our heart. It says that, that, that abstain from those sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Do you know what's at stake when, when war is waged against your soul? Your longings. Your longings, your, your deep yearning for Jesus, the Son of God. When you and I are steeped in our sin and we're steeped in our despair and are steeped in our, our idolatry and our depravity, the, the, wage, the war that's been waged in our soul, has, we, we don't even want to think about Jesus. We, don't, we could care less if the Son of God appeared. In fact, we would prefer that he didn't, right? Why? Because he'd find us, expose us, and our sin would be out in the open. Newsflash, it already is. Jesus already knows. So we want, to, we want to understand that we are strangers and exiles, that we don't belong. We live in a, in a world, we live in a nation, we live in a community, but we are not citizens here. Through faith in Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and that makes us strangers and exiles here. But know that there is a war being waged against your soul, against the longings of your heart. And if today you're feeling like, I don't want to long for Christmas, maybe that's the problem. If you don't want to long for Christmas, if you, don't, you can't wait to turn Christmas music on, if you can't wait for more of Jesus, that sounds like a war is going on for your soul, for the heart. And it's likely that your heart or my heart, if that's my attitude, is set against Jesus. And set on my, my eyes and, the, and my heart are set on the things of the world, not on Christ. I want to be able to sing, God, I'm a captive. I'm in exile, but I long. I mourn in, in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. I long for the Son of God to appear. To live as an alien or an exile, a stranger in another city or kingdom meant to have diminished rights. It meant that you were in the city, 
or you're in the community and you're under its laws, but you were never fully a part of it, right? In, but not of it. We should long, long as strangers and aliens to be citizens once more of God's kingdom, not of this, this kingdom. We want more of Jesus. What did Emmanuel do? What is the good news of the Son of God appearing? Ephesians 2 says this, He came. I love that. He came. What is that? Emmanuel, right? God with us. He came. And what did he do? He proclaimed good news of peace. Good news of peace. Isn't that what we long for? Shouldn't we long for good news of peace while we're in lonely exile? He, he proclaimed good news of peace to you who are far and peace to those who are near. Through him, both have access into one spirit, into the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. There it is, right? So through, we have access through Christ to the Father. We don't have to be in exile. We, we know our citizenship can be made secure through faith in Christ. And then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. And we are members of God's household. It doesn't matter what the city tells us we are or aren't. It doesn't matter what the nation tells us we are or we aren't. It doesn't matter what the world gives us as a standing. If we are in Christ, we are his. And we are no longer foreigners or strangers. We are his fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household. That is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with, guess what, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. God appeared. The Son of God appeared. Emmanuel, he came and he proclaimed good news of peace for us, right, through faith in Christ that we would reconcile to the Father and that he said, not only did I come to proclaim good news, I came, God with you, to be the rock, the cornerstone, your firm foundation. That is God with us. So as we look to this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear, then we are to rejoice that God with us will come to us and has come to us. He himself is our hope and our delight and our firm foundation. Amen? That's verse 1. It's beautiful, isn't it? Next time we sing it, and we're going to sing it when we, after we're done preaching, we're going to sing this song. Sing it. Or maybe listen to the depths of it and then jump in. But let the song resonate with you. Number two, as we long for Christmas still, what's the next name we see? We saw Emmanuel, verse two, is uh, Rod of Jesse. The next, next uh, one on the screen, it says, O come thou Rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. Next half, from depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. This, this is what the Rod of Jesse does. So he, it's God with us and it goes further. The Rod of Jesse to free us from Satan's tyranny. The rod of Jesse, interesting, this is the root, right? This is the root or a shoot, a branch of Jesse. This is the seed of the woman passed down through the line of David. And we saw that the king would come from the line of David, the house of David. It started, though, back in Genesis chapter 3. Remember the fall of man? When, when, when Satan tempted mankind, right? And Adam and Eve fell into sin. What did God proclaim there in the garden to the serpent? He said, you're toast, you're dead meat, Satan. Right? Although you're going to strike his heel, the seed that comes from the woman, the shoot, the rod of Jesse out of the line and house of David. Although you're going to strike his heel, you'll bruise his heel. What, what will happen? He will crush your head. Genesis 3. So you think about longing for that, longing for Satan to be defeated. We know that he has. Through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection, Satan has been defeated what was the prophecy? We read it earlier out of uh, Isaiah 11, 1, and it's also in verse 10. 
Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. We talked about all that fruit he would bear. The, the, he'd come in righteousness and in judgment, right? And, and he would be uh, with wisdom, right? But on, in verse 10, it says, On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. You want to hope? You want to, this is the banner of Christ. It's the, it's the root of Jesse. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. There's something to be said. It's not just like, hey, I'm in charge. It's like, no, you are the one that's the most satisfying as the root or the rod of Jesse. This passage refers to a future king who will rise from the long past house of David. Right? And as the church saying this, they remember they knew it was Christ. A king who will not only restore Israel, but will enlighten the nations. There's something interesting about Christmas time. The whole world sings these songs. Now, I'd say less and less, right? We hear less and less of them. But they still know them. And when you have a, a worldly choir music, the, the, they get together and it's nothing to do with Christ or the church, but a choir gets together. What do they sing? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Well, I wish they understood the depth of that. I, wonder, I wish they understood that, that and were enlightened as, as the nations would see Christ as the fulfillment that God gave us as the Messiah. Paul quotes this passage in Romans about the root of, root of Jesse. Paul says in Romans 15, he says again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear and the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. This is the nations. Israel was not just to be left alone and say, hey, hey it's all about you, Israel. The good news that Christ came, the, the, when Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us, he preached good news not only for Israel, but for who? Everybody. Good news for Everybody. Paul goes on, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with, uh, with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. What does the rod of Jesse produce? Hope. Hope that overflows. Joy that overflows. Peace that overflows. And as the world sings for world peace, they have no idea what that means. They have no idea. They want it. They long for it. We'll talk about that in a few minutes in another verse, but it's, it's not coming to them unless it comes through Jesus Christ what is this hope? How can we be freed from Satan's tyranny? Well, it's the Word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. Why did the Word, why did God Almighty put on human flesh? Why did God, Emmanuel, come with us? So he could die, right? So he could offer himself to die. The author of Hebrews writes this in chapter 2. So said, now the children have flesh and blood. Now we have flesh and blood in common. Jesus also shared in these. Jesus put on flesh and blood so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and to free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. When we sing these songs, come thou rod of Jesse, free, free us from, from death and the oppression of death and the slavery to sin, uh, from thine own sa uh, Satan's uh, tyranny, right? From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. It's only through Christ that we have that. It's only through what Christ has done on the cross and he was crucified, he was buried, he was risen again to defeat Satan and defeat death so you and I don't have to fear it anymore. Paul writes in Colossians, you were dead. I was dead. We were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, but he made you alive with him and forgave all our sins. He erased the certificate of debt, or canceled it, right, uh, with its obligations that were against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. 
You and I owed something. We were held in slavery. We owed something. We had sinned and separated ourselves from God, but God came, Emmanuel, with us. He put on human flesh, and he died in your place. He died in my place, taking the full judgment and wrath of God upon his shoulders for you and for me. I long for that forgiveness. I long for that freedom. And in Christ, we have it. It says in verse 15, he that is Jesus, he then, through that, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Christ had the triumph. I, think about the, this. It, it, there's, a, there's a war. There's a battle going on. Paul says that it's, it's a, a battle against the principalities of darkness in this world, right? It's not against flesh and blood. But if, if Christ came and, and Christ died and Christ rose again victoriously, and if he conquered death, what does that mean about our foe? What does it say he did to them? He disarmed them. Sometimes I think we give, we give the enemy too much credit, too much weight. We think, man, look at the arsenal the enemy has. He doesn't have anything. He's been disarmed. He, he's, he's toothless. But he, how, do we, how do we do it? We let him devour us still. He's toothless. He's been disarmed. Jesus has freed us from Satan's power and death and given us victory over the grave. That's what Christmas reminds us of. That's what this song reminds us of, that, that we have this victory through faith in Christ. We should rejoice then. We rejoice in the rod of Jesse that he has paid for our sin and he has defeated death's hold over us and rendered the enemy useless. Useless against us. That's what we sing. That's what we rejoice over. What's next? Verse 3. As we long for Christmas, we long for the day spring. O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. What are we longing for? We're longing to, to let this darkness be removed, to, to bring light and hope and peace. There's gloom and there's distress and we, we want it to be dispersed and we want to see honor and victory had. Can you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8, please? Isaiah chapter 8. I want to read some of this prophecy of Christ. It's, it's beautiful and it, it resounds in what we see here in this passage, in this verse. You might be wondering why I keep pointing. The, the words behind you are in front of you. The words behind you are in front of me, right? The ones on the wall. So I, I'm reading it off the wall, okay? Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18, we'll start there. This is beautiful. I, I would go home, go home and read this in a, in a fuller, richer sense. Here I am, in verse 18, Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of army who dwells on, on Mount Zion. God's given his people something, right? And, but when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter. Like, like, it's like they don't want that, right? It says, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? The answer is no. Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to his word, there will be no dawn for them. No dawn, which means there's, there's not dawn right now. There's gloom. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward, they will curse their king and God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Sounds like a pretty poor state, doesn't it? Let's look at chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, 
Even though there's this sorry state of affairs that happens, typically because we chose something we shouldn't have chose, right? Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times. When he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, again, longing right forward, as, as, as old Israel was looking at these scriptures, this is prophecy about the Messiah to come. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, to the Galilee of the nations. Who was from Galilee? Jesus, thank you. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoiced when dividing spoils. For you, God, have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. The battle's over, he's saying. Why? Verse 6, Christmas, Christmas in a verse. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. When we, when we sing to the day spring, come thou day spring, come and cheer thy spirits by the advent here. When God comes into the world as the day spring, he lights up the darkness. He dispels the darkness and the gloom. You, know, you and I look around this world. If you and I aren't longing for something better, we aren't waking up and seeing the same world. The world is in utter chaos and utter despair. And, and no, no song about peace on earth and unity will ever do. Only Jesus will, the day spring that will come and dispel the gloomy night, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and, and death's dark shadows put to flight. So important. God is coming to, to, bring, to take darkness and, and bring light to it and, and to take the gloom and distress and to disperse it and to bring honor to it through Jesus Christ. So rejoice, rejoice, people of God, because the day spring, the light of the world has come to free us from the shadow of sin and death. Verse 4, longing for Christmas, we long for Jesus as the wisdom or thou wisdom. It says, O come thou wisdom from on high and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to grow. We hear the advent of Christ. We hear that Emmanuel, God, has come with us. What's next? What do, we, what do we need to do with what we now know and have heard? We need wisdom. We need him to show us. We need him to tell us. Oh, come now, wisdom from on high and order all things far and nigh. Bring, bring order to our chaos, God. Give us wisdom. And then it goes on. It says, to us, the path of knowledge show. God, we want your knowledge. We want to see what you see and how you see it. And cause in us her ways to grow. Cause what to grow in us? Her ways are wisdom's ways. Not folly, but wisdom's way. We, we sing that, longing to be wise with our choices, longing to be wise with our actions, longing to be wise with where we place our hope. Isaiah chapter 11, if you want to flip back there, we're going to read chapter or verses 2 through 5. So we just saw the root of Jesse, right? He came down, and now we have the wisdom. 
It says in verse 2 of chapter 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Who is that? That is the root of Jesse. That's Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Man, if we could have that. That's, when we sing this song, we sing this verse, that's what we're longing for. God, the wisdom that you have, the understanding you have, the counsel and strength that you have, the, the knowledge and the, and the proper respect and honor and reverence and fear of God that you have. We need that. We long for that. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. Wouldn't that be great for us to be able to say the same thing? Jesus' delight is in this fear of the Lord, the reverence, the ultimate submission to the Father. Wouldn't it be great if you and I could delight in Him as we fear Him instead of cower and fear? Well, we can through faith in Christ. We can delight ourselves in the Lord. We can put our, our, total, our total trust in Him and submission to Him, and, and then he, his, he will be our delight. And he will judge not by what he sees or hears, right? But he will judge the poor righteously. Righteousness is on the way. He will execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. You know, we talk about this often, but, but there will be a day when, when every injustice is made right. When God ultimately comes and says, this is how it's supposed to be. And what's amazing for you and I who come to faith in God, we become poor in spirit. We see that in Matthew, right? Or, or we're the oppressed in the land. It's because we've been humbled, right? We've known just how far and separated and removed from God that we have become. And as we become humble, we become the poor in the land in need of the wisdom of God, in need of the righteousness of God. See, his wisdom helps us understand his righteousness. His wisdom helps us understand his righteousness. And it is his righteousness that we need. Because you and I, without him, without his righteousness, you and I are filthy rags. And we will never be able to bring a righteousness that is, that is adequate or enough. We'll never be able to bring to him and say, look what I've done for you, God. I, I, I did the best, I, very best I could because the very best you can will never, ever be enough. But God's very best is enough. And that very best was given to us through Jesus Christ on that cross. So when we, when we sing for wisdom, we want him, the wisdom to come. We're longing for the righteousness of God. We're longing for, for him to clothe us in his righteousness, to, to let us know who he is and what he's up to and who we ought to be in him as well. We long for that. Jesus, Emmanuel, right? The branch of Jesse came and will come with wisdom to judge and set all things right. He makes all things right and he makes all things new. But the emphasis as we sing this is on the hope that the believer has for the day that Jesus will visibly rule with wisdom and finish the work of teaching us true justice and true goodness. That's what we long for. God, God we want to know you. We want to know your truth. We want it to be made right. So we hope in you. Right now, we hope in you to cover us with your righteousness. And, and God, we, we also hope and long for you when you will one day come and rule with ultimate righteousness, ultimate justice over everything that you have created. And so we rejoice Ephesians 1 says this, Paul prays, he says, I pray that the God of, our, uh, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom. Listen, when you sing this, and you, you, you sing, O come thou wisdom, we're asking God, enlighten us. Teach us who do not know any better. Teach us. And he says that he'll give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know 
What is the hope of His calling? What is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of His strength? That's what the prayer is for. That's what wisdom is for. That's what the wisdom and and revelation of knowledge of Him is for, that we might know what the hope of His calling is, the wealth of His inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. I think sometimes we pray, we're like, oh, I, I, I want to pray I know more so I can reason this out and figure it out and have my, my nice little textbook answer for somebody. No, that's not what this is. When we know and, and ask thou wisdom to come, we are asking that he enlighten us in this way, that, that, that the hope of his calling would well up in us, that, that the wealth of his, his inheritance, the glorious inheritance he gives us is better than anything this earth or world could offer and we will know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe that there is a, a, a covenant-keeping power, a salvific securing that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. So we rejoice. We long to lay aside our knowledge and our best so we can know God and stand righteous in him. And that leads us to verse 5. As we long for Christmas, we long for the key of David. It says, O come, thou key of David, Come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high uh, and close the path to misery. This, this is, you know what's miserable? You know what misery is? Not being secure and sure in hope. You know, there's a big difference of, of the word hope in different ways we use it. You know, I, I, might, I might think about the, the holidays coming up. I might think about Christmas and the celebrations and the, and the parties we might have and the family gatherings. And maybe you're kind of like particular in some ways and you like things certain ways and you're like, man, I really hope we don't have turkey on, things, on Christmas Day. Okay, that's, not, that's not the hope we're talking about, is it? Man, I really hope Uncle so-and-so stays home. That's, that's bad. You don't say that. Watch your mouth, right? That, that kind of hope. It's even even in religion. All over the other religions, they when you talk and have real conversations with them, and they they talk about their faith, and, and they talk you talk about well, are you going to heaven? You know what their answer is? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. They don't know. But but Christianity is different than everyone else. Every other religion is spelled D O. You've got to do this and do that and, and try to earn your way so that you can hope to hopefully get there. But Christianity, the advent of Christ, as we long for him and sing, O come, Emmanuel, what we're saying is, it's all up to you, God. And the work that you did is done. It's spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. And, and the, so the hope that the Messiah gives through the work that he has accomplished is not like, I really hope this works out. That hope is sure. It's set. It is ready. He has accomplished it. He has secured it. When you and I have faith in Christ, it is a done deal. It is sealed and set. Because that's who God is. That's who God is in his covenant nature towards us. That's who God is as he, as he works all things out for our good as we had trust in him and have faith in him. That's who God is. And as we sing this longing for him, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe he's the key of David, if you don't believe that he opens and shuts, that he locks and unlocks, if you don't believe that, don't sing the verse. Come now, key of David, right? That's what we're asking. Come now, key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make, um, make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. I don't want to be miserable. 
I don't want to have miserable hope. Do you? I don't. I see that we see this in Isaiah 22, this prophecy of the key of David. It's actually talking about Eliakim at that point, but it's a dual prophecy, and, and a greater, the greater prophecy is about Christ. It says, I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. That seems like a pretty important key. Later on, we see it talked about of Jesus. We just finished, uh, well, a while ago, we finished the series on uh, the seven churches of Revelation, right? And to the church of Philadelphia, he writes in Revelation 3, he says, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One. Remember how Jesus always introduced himself saying, this is who I am. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, who closes and no one will open. So I'm the Lord. I'm the one that opens and closes. I'm in me there is security. And away from me, of being away from me and rejecting me, there's a door that is locked and closed. If you want to reject Christ, that door will be closed. If you want to receive Christ, he will open that door and no one will be able to change that for you. He's the one with the key. The key refers to both the power to lock and to unlock. It's the more broadly, it's it's about the ruling authority that has been placed on Jesus Christ. So this verse of the song can be taken as a reference to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We read a little bit of that earlier, right? Verse 9, I'm sorry, uh, chapter, chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He's got the key to the kingdom. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And it goes on, the, his dominion will, not, will be local, right? That's what it says, his dominion will be local, and small. Is that what it says? His dominion will be vast. How vast? His prosperity will never end. Never end. He will reign on the throne of David and, and over his kingdom and establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. How, how big is that kingdom? Vast. Isn't it amazing that that kingdom so huge and so vast and that we know the one Jesus Christ, who, who is the key of David, and who holds the key of David, and he who locks, no one else can unlock. And he who opens, no one else can shut. He has full authority. The key of David is Christ the King, who opens the doors of heaven for us who believe. And for those who Christ opens the door of heaven, no one can block. No one can get in your way and shut the door. But for those who reject Christ, whom the door of condemnation is closed, it will be forever sealed. But in that way, Jesus provides security to those of us who come to him in faith and repentance and trust him as our Savior. When we sing, when we sing these Advent songs, we sing, O come, the key of David, when we long for him, we long for the security we have in Christ through faith in Christ, through repentant faith in Christ. We come to him not of our own accord. We come to him empty with nothing, because he is our everything, and we can be fully satisfied in him. So what do we do? We rejoice. God has not only made a way, but he sealed the deal for us through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? The sixth verse, longing for Christmas. It says, O come, desire of nations bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. This can be tricky. This can be tricky because when the world sings this, what are they asking for? 
peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But you, but you know what they are really asking for is this. Um, listen, we want everything to be the same in the way that we act towards one another, in the pursuits that we, we go after, in the, in the things we want to acquire. We want what we want to stay the same. But on top of that, we want our desires to, to lead to ultimate peace on earth. You see, no, no one wants to repent of sin. No one wants to humble themselves in submission to Christ or to any authority. They just want peace. Like, hey, just be at peace. That breaks down really quickly. Remember, remember James chapter 4? What starts fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from what? The desires from your own heart, desires within you. How in the world are we going to have peace on earth if, if all I have are my desires within me? And all you have are your desires within you. You know why there's wars? I desire something you don't desire. And you desire something I don't desire. And guess what that starts? A conflict. Happens all the time, doesn't it? I'd like to say, well, that, that, if you have kids, you understand. But if you're an adult and breathe oxygen, you understand. Because you and I choose things that we desire, and when somebody desires something different or doesn't desire what we desire, we don't like that. And there's a war. But I sing, peace on earth. I, I want peace on earth. It doesn't work, right? So what does it mean, come thou desire of nations? What does it mean? Well, it's, it's from Haggai, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. I'll, I'll read this. For the Lord of armies said this, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'm going to shake them. That, that is always referred to judgment. Like, like, and, and think about that for our own lives. When we get in a rut, we get in a certain desire, what do we need? Come on, get a hold of yourself. We, we need that good shaking, right? And so we can be like, oh, we need to be upset a little bit. We need to be wrecked a little bit. So I'm going to shake. I'm going to shake the nations. I will shake the nations so that. And here's the phrase uh, in verse 7 of, of Haggai chapter 2. I will shake the nations so that the desire of all nations will come. Some translations say the treasure of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. Again, that's kind of, ooh, this is nice. He's going to shake it up and we're all going to get rich and prosper, right? That's what this verse says. That's not what this is saying. It's saying he's saying, you know what you desire? You know what you think is worthwhile? You know what you think, you think is for, to benefit for you? I'm going to shake it up so you don't, that doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to shake it so hard that, that the real desire is going to come to the top. I'm going to let you see what is truly glorious in this place again. So he will become the desire of nations. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first. What you thought was good, you had no idea, but what's to come is even better. I will, this is it. I, the desire of nations, says I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord. The desire of nations, it's Jesus. It's not more riches, more gold, and peace on earth. It is Jesus. He is our riches. He is our wealth. He is everything that would be ever satisfying to us. We need more Jesus. And so when he shakes it up and we sing, O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind, what's going to happen that day? Understand that every single person will bow. Every single person will say, he's the Lord. He's the one I desire. There's nothing better than him. And we're like, that's what we want. But for many, they'll be too late. 
He'll, he'll say, why are you bowing down? You, you never knew me. I never knew you. Depart from me. He will be the desire of nations. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what he's saying. I'm going to shake it up in a way that you, what you thought you wanted, you, nope, it's not even close to what you wanted. And you're all going to understand. And, and all the while, before I do that big shakeup, all the while, I'm going to give you opportunity and opportunity to know my love, to see my covenant, to see how I pursued you, to see how I provided for you at the advent of Christ. Oh, come, Emmanuel, God with us, that God came and made his dwelling among us. Do you, do you understand? God came and dwelled among us, the infinite, eternal one, put on human flesh. And when we sing about peace on earth, it's got to connect to the one who put on human flesh. And, and it only does because that human flesh died in our place under God's judgment against sin, that he would atone for your sin and my sin, that you and I, through faith in Christ, would be made whole and free and forgiven. That's what he's there to do. And he makes us secure in that forgiveness, that he unlocks a door for us and no one can shut that door. He makes a way. And there's nothing else on this earth that could take the place of Jesus. There's nothing else on this earth that would do better than what Jesus has done for you and for me. He must be the desire of nations. If he's not the desire of nations to you now, there will be one day when he is. And that day will be too late. Psalm 22 says this about, about what God is providing through Christ. The humble, they will eat and be satisfied. When, I get over, when, I, when I'm shaken up and I get over myself and I humble myself and, and, and see that Jesus is what I really need, I will eat and be satisfied. Those, uh, those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth. Again, the desire of nations is not just like, oh, the, this little group of people who really likes Jesus. At the end of it all, everyone will bow. Everyone will be like, there's nothing else I can bring. There's nothing else that even compares. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. You know what it means for him to be the desire of nations? That, that kingship only belongs to him. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth, you thought you knew what you wanted, you thought you had prosperity, all who prosper on the earth will eat and they will bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who are separated from God, those who have rejected him time and time again, who didn't ever desire the desire of nations. They will eventually bow down and they'll go to the dust. They'll kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Every knee will bow. So when we, when we sing, O come, thou desire of nations, bind all peoples in one, in one heart. We're wanting that unity, that we're wanting them to know Jesus is it. He's the answer. In all peoples, uh, or all peoples in one heart and mind, bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Now stop. It doesn't mean like, hey, let's just stop fighting and get along. Peace on earth. It means stop fighting against God. Stop fighting. Stop quarreling with God because of your desires. I, God, I want, I want envy and strife and quarrels in my heart to cease. What's the scripture say? Be still and know that I am God. That text means stop your fighting and know that he is God. And then when we, when we stop our fighting and when we truly desire the desire of nations, what happens? Fill the whole world with what? Heaven's peace. That's when peace will come. That's the only way peace can come. 
the desire of nations will bring peace and usher in his kingdom as all become sub, uh, subject and submissive to the king of kings. So rejoice that God of the universe will rule and reign and restore when he comes. So we bow down to him. Finally, I want to uh, go to the, the last refrain, if you would, Mark, the last chorus. Number seven is rejoice. Remember that these are all prayers. Every verse is a prayer to the Lord Jesus. And the refrain, the chorus, is what? It is, it is the answer to the prayer. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. And then he rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come again, I think we have, uh, with us to dwell. Shall come again with us to dwell. This is our rejoice. We rejoice that, that he's going to come to thee, O Israel. He's going to come and be amongst us that he did come. Remember that tension we had of what has already been done and versus what will come? This is what we're saying. Jesus came. He died. He's, he's available. He rose from the grave. He's available to you and to I for, uh, to come to him, to repent of our sin, to turn to him in faith, and to be forgiven. And guess what? He's also going to come back. He's ascended to the Father, and he will return. And he will return to rule and reign as the desire of nations, so we rejoice in him. I hope you can say you rejoice. Just like the angel, when the angel came uh, it, during, it, to, to um, the shepherds out in the fields, right? Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I hope you're not afraid. I hope you're not afraid when the desire of nations comes. I hope you're not afraid when the root of Jesse comes. When Emmanuel, when he's face to face, when he returns, that you're not afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? I proclaim to you good news of great joy for all people. For today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. When we sing the song, we're singing in a few minutes, we are rejoicing over Emmanuel. We're rejoicing over the good news of great joy that is for all people. Not only has he come, that's the great news, and he's, he's taken the wrath of God upon his shoulders for us as he died for our sin and poured out his blood and rose victoriously. But he has promised to, to return and to rule and reign as king of, king, king, of king, king of kings and Lord of lords over us forever. So we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And we say, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come again with us to dwell. I hope this song, this first song of Christmas for you as we Sing it today as, we, as you sing it as you leave, as you hear it on the radio, that this will be fresh and new, that you, that you understand that from the 8th century and, and before, Christians were reciting this about the Lord Jesus Christ. And beca Why? Because there's hope in the desire of nations. There's hope in Emmanuel. There's hope in the root of Jesus. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Stand with me as we pray and head back into the time of worship together. Father, we, we're so humbled by who you are. We're so humbled by the word of God and, the, and not only the prophecies of, of Christ, but we are, we are humbled, God, by the fulfillment of those prophecies in the Lord Jesus. God, this Advent, as we, as we seek to, to prepare our hearts, and, and God, as we long for Christmas, we long for the coming Messiah, not only do we know he has come and he has died and he, has, he was buried and risen, but God, we know he'll return. So God change the desires and longings of our hearts. Help us live as strangers and exiles, God, and not, not the desires of our hearts or this world uh, fight war and wage war against our soul. God, help us to long for you, to desire you, 
that you would come, that you would be these qualities for us. We give you all the praise and all the honor. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.